Welcome to the Delling Pod with me, James Delling Pod. And I was sitting innocently at my desk one day wondering who I should have next on the podcast. And then I got a call from an old friend and he said something which made total sense to me. He said, spring is here and we need to do a podcast about how wonderful spring is in England. And I thought, yeah, absolutely we do. So welcome to the podcast, an old friend. Uh, his real name is Ma- Mike Daunt, although I prefer to refer to him by his nickname. I, I, I can't tell you what the nickname is because because it would be rude. However, this this um, the, the name of this edition might give you a clue. I'm going to call it Fat Old Country Matters. Fat Old Country Matters with with Mike Daunt. Mike, welcome, welcome back. To Thank the... you. I love that. It's already made me laugh. <laughs> Now, Mike, you may remember from from the last glorious podcast we did together, is the fishing coach to the stars. I mean, among among his other many talents, you've taught Chris Tarrant to fish, Eric Clapton, Clapton, uh, Jeremy Paxman, um, Max Hastings, and I could go on and on and on. Yeah, Um, Duchess of Devonshire. Well, yes, that was very yeah. I, I can't. I suppose I can go into that. Yes, I, you can. I mean, she's Debo she's Debo Devonshire, who is one of the nicest. She's dead tragically, one of the most lovely people you could ever meet, and teaching her the timing of the cast. Her estate workers adored it because you have to say to yourself, not the old one of "God save the Queen," but you say "Call fuck me now," and to have the Duchess Debo shouting that across her lake. Gave a lot of people a great deal of pleasure, including so, me. So that's that's the rhythm that you you adopt when you you bring the rod back. Bring the rod back. Call wait, fuck me now. Absolutely. Yeah. Bring yeah. the rod back. Wait, and that's when you say call, fuck me. And say call, fuck me now. Simple. That's how you taught me to to fly fish on the river Itchin. That's that, and, and I I knew that you weren't making a pass at me because you are rampantly. You weren't trying to fuck me now. You're rampantly heterosexual. But I can see that, that, that it's part of your charm, Mike, that, that the reason I think you're the, the most popular fishing teacher... Is, it, is that a fishing teacher? Fishing is such, I don't fishing teacher, whatever you like. I yeah, don't yeah. care less. Yeah. Um, one of the reasons you're so popular is, is that, that you make it funny as well as um, informative. Well, it is supposed to be fun. It's a sport. But you do it for, for, for amusement, for happiness, for joy... Not to take it terribly seriously. Yeah. And if you make a terrible mistake, who gives a shit, quite frankly? Um, well, I suppose it depends, doesn't it, who invites you? I mean, I imagine there was a certain kind of sticky person who owns a, what's it called, a stretch of, a, a beat, is it? Is it called a beat? Well, you, you have a beat on the Salmon River shore. Um, what's it called when it's not a salmon river? It's called a stretch, I suppose. A stretch. I don't know. It hasn't got any particular okay. name. So, you, so, so, so I imagine there are certain posh people who own stretches of rivers or beats of rivers and they are very keen on etiquette and on the rules about how you... F- what, you're, what, what kind of fly you're allowed to use in a particular... Yeah, that's of- very much, in fact, I'm afraid to say, that if, if they've owned their rivers for a long time, yeah. um, then you don't get that sort of behaviour. And I've always said that without exception, great fishermen are always, without exception, poachers. I mean, if they, if they want to catch a fish, they won't stick to a dray fly. They will use anything they can to catch a fish. They will say in the pub they got it on a dry fly, and they're lying bastards. Oh, so are you saying, Mike, that when I when you invite me for my annual 
annual trip to the to the Itchin, and which which I think people who know about fishing will know that is about as good as high. That's on the test, absolutely. That's on the test. Which, actually, which is better, the Itchin or the test? I think they're about equal. The test is the more famous. Right. Yes. World famous. But the maybe itchin. the Itchin is more kind of recherche and known to the cognoscenti, maybe. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Very much. So. Okay. So when I when I come for my annual trip to the Itchin to go to go fishing for trout, if I just put a worm on my on my on my rod I mean, on my hook is that going to be you're going to be cross with me provided i didn't see it which i would carefully turn my back to make sure i didn't <laughs> it would make me laugh considerably but but i imagine that actually um do do, do trout go for worms oh boy and how oh really oh so i so I, uh, oh i mean the old adage if you want to catch a trout put a worm on that is an absolute killer a real Total killer. Oh, okay. So how did the practice of fly fishing evolve then? It's, it's a very strange thing, but, but, but obviously, I mean, certainly from a trout fishing point of view, it's very different from a salmon. Um, when you're fishing for trout, you're emulating the food on which it mostly feeds, which is flies on the surface and their, the, the subsurface, they are nymphs, um, and that is their main food. Yes, they will always take a worm in preference to anything. Why, you ask me, because right. I have no idea. They don't see them naturally. You might get the odd worm being swept out in a flood from the yeah. river bank, but not normally. They'll never see a worm, yet they go for mad for them. Okay, and what about, what about salmon? Do they go salmon for Salmon love worms too, Do exactly they? the same. Exactly, you, utter killer a worm for a salmon. Because in a way, I, I mean, I've, I've been, I think, salmon fishing twice in scotland never never caught anything but I, it was on a, on a stretch of the the d's pretty pretty okay Very famous and um it struck me at the time when, when the salmon were not biting that actually what i really wanted was ne never mind the casting practice i wanted a salmon to bite quite right. so that i could wrestle with it and, quite right and, and reel it in you know play it i, I mean that what it's what everybody wants and tragically and i say that word with desperate sadness Scotland was the birthplace of salmon fishing worldwide, and it is now the salmon is is beginning to become an endangered species. Yes, and this is an utter utter tragedy. And if I want people that I've taught to catch a salmon, I do not tragically take them to Scotland. I will take them to Russia or to Iceland. Right, and that is an awful sadness to say that. It is sad, isn't it, to think that 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 salmon fishing in Scotland is basically over now. Why is that? Well, there's there's huge numbers of reasons. I mean, there really are. There's um, and nobody actually knows the complete reason. Salmon farms haven't helped because the sea lice, um, which that produces in huge numbers, um, and which then attack the wild salmon, which which doesn't do them any good. Uh, the predators uh, do them a lot of damage. I mean, if you, if you, if you see the, the cormorants particularly, which are a seabird, and they are now in huge numbers in Scotland particularly, and they will, if you see the smolt, which are the young salmon, trying to migrate to sea, or the par, before they get to the smolt stage, trying to live in their water, and then the cormorants come, and there was one shot the other day, thank God, legally, it had his, the poor chap's got his beastly bloody licence to shoot effing cormorants. Um, he opened it up, and it was stuffed, heaving, and that was only an hour after sunrise with, with, with smoke. Masses and masses. Every single one of those is a young salmon. And we are now not allowed to shoot cormorants, which is a complete madness.
Mike, I wanted to ask you about this because actually, even though you've just come here innocently to talk about the joys of spring, actually, you happen to have coincided with a bit of topicality, haven't you? In in as much as Chris Packham, this BBC wildlife, I think a sort of towny attitudes imposed on the country. I think think what he's trying to do, and I may be wrong about this, I think he knows absolutely bugger all about about anything, but particularly the countryside. And what he's doing is trying to appeal to the towny who is listening to his programmes. That is my opinion. And he should be fired instantly. He knows so much of nothing, and yet he's talking about something which is terribly important. And, for instance, these cats, they are the most desperate things for our young, for our our, our songbirds. And every single cat, by law, should have a collar on with a bell. Personally, I love shooting cats, but that's (laughs) deeply unpopular. I had a right and left once, and I'm sure I'm going to get killed for saying that, but there we are. Um, I was very proud of it. Um, so was my uncle. Um, we had a cat drive out of the barn. Terribly unpopular to say that, and I'm sure I'm going to get letters of misery and anger. No, I'm sure, I'm sure nobody will mind that if, if you've been shooting your cat, <laughs> It gave me great it's, joy. It's, it's, yeah. as, as a small boy, aged about 15, that was. Um, but they should certainly have bells on their on on their necks. They're an effing nuisance. They do terrible damage to our songbirds. That is one. But if, but if I could steer you gently back, to, let, let me let me just explain for the, for the benefit of of, of special friends who don't know the story, that Chris Packham is a slightly scary. I mean, he's got that he's got that that thousand yard stare. He's got autism, which I think may explain his sort of a, a slightly obsessive nature, uh, and also his. His lack of empathy for humans, I think he's, he's, he's very big on animal rights, but not so big on the kind of the communities who work with animals, particularly people in the country. But Chris Packham, with the help of his conservationists, no, environmentalist friends, um, Mark Avery, who used to be at the Royal Society for the Prevention of Birds, um, and you know, I think it's not it, the prevention. No, no prevention. I, it might that that's that's kind of bitter bitter joke. It is called that now because, I because know. the RSPB has got into bed with the wind industry, which of course slices and dices birds on on an epic scale. But that, that's by the by. So Chris Packham has got in league with with uh, this Mark Avery character and also the new head of Natural England which is the quango which runs rural affairs on on behalf of the of the government it's supposed to be arm's length uh, and and it's got a new guy in charge a guy called tony juniper who is a green well he's a green activist uh, and and it's bizarre that a green activist should be should be put in charge of the british countryside when in, in green activists are their interests are antipathetical to those of country folk who who work with work with nature, don't they? They work. They keep the balance of nature, and what so so what Chris Packham has done in it with his campaign group is persuade Natural England, which was hardly like pushing an open open door when you've got a greenie in charge, persuade Nat- Natural England to revoke the license that allows landowners, gamekeepers, farmers, and so on to shoot pest birds on their land. And these pest birds range from crows and rooks, magpies, which are... Crows? Crows. Which you want to see see real kindness, and I'm being very sarcastic, just watch a crow with a young lamb pecking its eyes out whilst it's still alive. That's right. 
I see this quite a lot around where we live because there are lots of lambs around us and they, they do, they peck lambs' eyes out. They also, of course, attack songbirds. I mean, this is the time of year when the birds are nesting. And their nests. And the magpies come in and, and, and take out the eggs, don't they? Or, and they, they kill fledglings. Absolutely. So if you believe in stuff like biodiversity, if you like songbirds and... I mean, I love songbirds, goldfinches. Well, and, so should anybody. Yeah, so, well, so, yeah, thank you, Mike. So should anybody. If you like songbirds, then you ought to be very, very pro the right of gamekeepers and, and farmers and such like to control the pest species on their land. And another of those, those pest species on that, on that list, on the general, the, the, um, the general shooting list that you're allowed to shoot when you've got, you've got this license, are cormorants. Which I presume means that back in the day, Mike, people were free to shoot... I mean, I imagine that... that uh, what are they called? Gillies? Absolutely. Were allowed gillies to kill, who look after certain salmon rivers. Yes. They were allowed to shoot cormorants? Very much so. Um, uh, but the salmon, which is just... I mean, because it's a slimy fish, the great British public, and certainly the great town British public completely fail to feel, have any empathy, any feeling for this magnificent creature at all. Um, and they don't give a damn whether, the, whether it's wiped out by cormorants or anything else. And the other great problem is the seals, of which there are huge numbers, who eat vast amounts of salmon per day. They eat their own weight, weight of fish in a day. Now, that's nowadays is mostly salmon. There won't be any salmon left, so the really like little bastards will starve. Yeah. Um, but I, I've personally lain on a rock and protected, um, to try and protect the salmon runs, and taken out seals when I had a license to do so. Um, there was one terrifying story when I was lying on, lying on the top of a cliff, and I saw a seal on a rock, and I was just, got to, I was just about to pull the trigger of the rifle um, when at the last moment the seal stood up and it was a man in a, in a, black, in, in, in a suit, in a, in a wetsuit. Oh my goodness, Mike. And he was within one-tenth of an inch of death. And of course, I'd never have forgiven myself. Oh my goodness. And he never knew that, that he knew this and of course nobody No, and he, and, he, and he wouldn't have known either. And I can now, now, now tell it publicly. That's a, that's terrifying. A, so, so you had a, a, presumably a high-powered rifle. Yes. And I didn't realise that, that seals were... were cold in this way oh very much so they well, used to be well, when, not when, anymore. when was this 1976 okay i can give you the actual yeah and so that hot summer 1975 and 1976 and who gave you the license to do that or i, I think the, the the river had the license right um and that was on the helmsdale interesting one of the most famous and most lovely salmon rivers in scotland Right, and back in the 70s i imagine that absolutely the, the, the were, there was an abundance of salmon Oh, many, many more than there are now. Right. Huge abundance. Of right. Wonderful fishing. And I suppose there's an element of, of, of class war in here too, because I suppose that salmon fishing is considered to be a rich man's pursuit. So well, it is a rich man's pursuit. There's nothing you can do about that. I mean, do, do you want to buy a Ferrari? That's a rich man's pursuit. You know, I personally couldn't afford to buy a Ferrari and don't actually want one, but that's not the point. The point is that if you want to go salmon fishing, yes, it is terribly expensive. Yeah. But so what, quite honestly? You know, it doesn't really matter. Does it really matter? It's, it's supply and demand. And there are not that many salmon rivers. No. No, I, I, I agree. I, I, and I, I, I like to live in a world where there's a prospect of, should I become ever become rich, I too will be able to enjoy this pleasure. And if not, 
I don't begrudge other people the joy of it. And also it brings work, doesn't it, to the, to the gillies? Very much so. And it brings work to the whole of, of the vast amounts of Scotland, all the hotels which benefit, and, you know, in, 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 to a large extent. I mean, the, the, peop, the people, as you rightly say, who can afford to go salmon fishing have the money to spend it in the hotels and on expensive dinners, expensive wines, etc., etc., etc. And if the salmon becomes endangered so that we are not allowed to fish for them, which is getting very near and I are on the side of it, um, then a vast number of people are going to suffer very badly financially. I was going to try and move move your mic onto this cushion thing. Am I doing anything? No, you're doing fine. But I, I'm thinking that if I... Okay, try try talking again. How's that? Like That's that? good. I, I, that's thought, good. I, I didn't no, realise that. No, because what, so what, you, what you were doing in your excitement, you were you were sort of masturbating the, <laughs> the microphone with... <laughs> I knew I'd. I, you see, it's so easy to make Mike crack up. All you have to do is just mention something rude like masturbation, and he just gets all it. He gets all excited. Not by <laughs> masturbation. I'm no, no. long past it. No, I can no. tell you. <laughs> Give me a good woman any day. Yes, well, yeah, yeah. Well, I don't you, agree with that. Of, I don't agree with the old adage that you meet a better class of person that way. <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, Am I right in thinking that 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 there was a time when, when when cormorants were routinely shot? Yes, very much so. As were crows. Yeah. Um, but because of because they do damage. I mean, it's 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 terribly simple. Do you want grouse? Do you want salmon? Do you want songbirds? Yes, you do. If you do, or if you do, yeah. then you've got to protect them. Yes. It's terribly simple. Yeah. I was trying to. I, I try to convey this to towny people who don't quite get it. That well, one of the things that, what, that that really bothers me about um, environmentalism is that the environmentalists have created this false image of a world in which the world divides into two categories of people. There is the sort who care about nature and love Chris Packham and BBC wildlife programs and believe everything that David Attenborough has to say and who campaign with extinction rebellion and to believe in little little Greta Thunberg with her pigtails and and that the people on the other side of the argument are just bastards who don't care who ignore science, who don't care about nature, who just want to kill, 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 because that's the kind of selfish bastards they are. And this is not a, a true portrait of the world. In fact, the people who most understand nature, who, who are, are, are most familiar with its ways, are also the people who understand the need for culling, for conservation, that, cons that, that nature is, uh, does not have this this balance whereby if you if you just leave it alone there will be massive biodiversity and everything will flourish on the contrary you only have to look at an untended an unweeded garden um things rank and gross possess it don't they it, it, it things soon work. go to seed and it's the same with with the countryside and, and i was very lucky that i was brought up as a countryman in the middle of um, oxfordshire um, I had the trees, the names of the birds, the animals pointed out to me. And we are not, as countrymen, we are not into killing. That is absolute, a dreadful town myth. Um, we are into protecting and loving our, our the species and our animals within 
within within the countryside. Yes, there was a time when we killed salmon to eat. I wouldn't kill salmon and haven't done for many, many years now because they are getting too few. And the 99% of salmon fishermen will always put all their fish back. Now, a days. But, but that's a shame, though, isn't it? I mean, I mean, it's been lovely to be able to kill one yeah. and, and eat it for God's sake. Yeah, hunter, hunter, gatherer. Yeah, and there's nothing wrong with that. No, um, I don't agree with the massive shoots when there are six hundred birds killed per day, six days a week. Well, not if they're buried in a pit afterwards. Absolutely. In fact, I think it gives shooting a filthy name, and rightly so. And I think it's absolutely wrong. And I want to have nothing to do with it. Yeah, but generally, generally, people who who practice country sport i know you're not into fox hunting because you can't ride no i can't ride and there isn't isn't the horse built that could could, unless it was maybe a a shire horse or a war horse that could could carry you off i was i was taught and made to ride as a small boy and i always loathed it i was terrified of the fucking thing well because it requires skill and courage and probably (laughs) neither of which i have no no so 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 there we are but but no i i mean Obviously, I'm go- I'm biased in this direction, but I do believe that country people who practice country sports do not are not motivated by any kind of hatred of of nature. On the contrary, on the I, contrary, when I go fox hunting, I kind of want Charlie the fox to escape. I, you know, it, it, it gives me okay. Obviously, the purpose of the hunt is to is to is to capture charlie if you can but but i'm i'm always happy when he gets away same same when i when, when i'm out shooting i get invited shooting twice a year and if i miss if if a, if a bird gets past me which is which is really not uncommon I'm, i i think well well played chap it's like it's like somebody getting past you in a game of british bulldogs isn't it they've they've lived to fight another day very much so yeah. very much so and the same if you're playing a salmon and it comes off you raise your act to it Simple as that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's yeah, a lovely it, yeah, feeling. Exactly. So, Mike... But, I mean, it really does go back. Uh, I, I mean, uh, that wonderful Oscar Wilde quote, but each man kills the thing he loves. Um, yes. And we do love them. There is no question whatsoever. Yeah. Tell me about what what it was that prompted you you to come round here and and, and, and wax lyrical about spring. I mean, I, I agree with you, but... but... Well, because 90% of the population, we all live in, who live in towns, I still don't, thank God, um, but we are about to come up, the middle two weeks of May, nowhere in the world is as beautiful as England. I mean England, not Scotland, not Wales. And the reason I say that before I get killed by the Scots and the Welsh is that the English... It's, spring, the middle two weeks of May, are so ephemeral and they're so short. But that, that is when England, it is a gentle, a gentle, kind beauty. Scotland is a magnificent royal beauty. And Wales has the same thing. But it is not the gentleness and it goes on far, far longer. This tiny two weeks. And let me, it, it, Beltane, which is the pagan Sabbath day at the start of May, and its description is as follows. On May Eve, people tear off branches from the hawthorn tree and decorate the outside of their homes. The hawthorn, or white thorn as it's called sometimes, is a tree of hope, pleasure and protection. Um, in my area, this is, I'm talking for myself, primroses here are also called mayflowers. And they're still, to this day, strewn on the front doors of houses to bring good luck. 
And I want people to go out into the countryside, even if you live in the town and you know nothing about it. Mid-May, go to anywhere in the country, but make sure it's proper countryside, and just look around you. Yes. You will never see anything so lovely. I um, agree. It's When you see the first hawthorn blossom, it is like a firework display, isn't it? The and it's just beginning whiteness. now. Yeah. The, the, that whiteness in the hedgerows and the smell of the hawthorn is quite wonderful. It really is. And also, this is And the it is called May. Let's not forget, this is the time of year when we get the bluebell. And the bluebell... It's nearly over now. Well, actually, no. In our woods, it's, it, oh, they, it's they, up, they yeah. are okay. peak. Okay. They are peak right now. Okay. In fact, I, I, I walked through our bluebell wood yesterday, and, and, it, and it's one of the best bluebell woods in the country, so I'm not going to name it. And I learned from Country Life, which did, which did an excellent article on bluebells the other day, that the bluebell is, is the most popular. It's the, it's the favourite flower in, in the Good. wood. And I was thinking, as I wandered through the, the bluebell wood yesterday trying to take photographs which captured its splendor and you never can you it never looks as good on a on a on, a, on film as it does you on. must leave your country you must leave your townhouse and drive to see it it yeah. is essential but at the same time you need to look at and to, to look at the all the all the different flowers and the hawthorn my favorite is, is the gentlest of them all which is the cowslip which is a little tiny flower and this, thank God it's protected. Um, and that is, a, and to me, the cowslip is the essence of spring, and I actually love seeing it. It's, it's, it's got a lovely, lovely yellow. Absolutely. Um, which, the blue, just going back to the bluebell briefly. Sorry. Uh, when I was watching, looking at these drifts of, of, of blue, and it's kind of unearthly blue, in fact, you don't often see blue in, in nature. No, you don't. Much, I mean, huge amounts of green, obviously. Vast amounts of yellow. Don't ask me why, but no. there's a lot of yellow. A lot of yellow. A lot of white. You, and and you get, I suppose, reds in 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 gardens. But but blue is very quite... little blue. I would agree with you. And, I hadn't thought of that. And I, my wife, who's massively into flowers, has got this this book of wildflowers around the world, taken by photographers who 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 travel around the world. And and there's normally there's normally maybe a a week or two week window. Where these wildflowers are at, at their absolute peak, and there are places in the in California you can go to where you can see these wildflower meadows, and and uh, you go to Crete is very good. I once went to Crete, and in the in the in the the, the higher the, the higher mountains of Crete, you see these bee or all manner of orchids, bee orchids, and and. But I was thinking that if I didn't live in England and I didn't have these these bluebells on my doorstep. I would be looking at photographs of these by a photographer who can make them look good, and I'd be thinking, "Oh my God, I would travel ten thousand miles to see this site. This has got to be one of the great wildflower sites and you're in the world." Right. You're dead right. And here it is on our doorstep. We can go and see this stuff in the beech and, woods of Oxfordshire, particularly. Yeah. They're wonderful. We can we can marvel at it. So I I agree with you that 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 two week window in May is very very. And of course, we've got the the wild garlic or the ramsons. Uh, which are, uh, yesterday I turned into a wild garlic pesto and delicious too. Yeah, mix it. You 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 whiz up these leaves in the in the, the liquidizer with with parmesan, and you you can use pig nuts, which are these. That they're they're a kind of 
I know what you mean. They're the bulbs of a particular cut. They're quite hard. They're quite hard to find. Or you can use toasted walnuts or toasted pine nuts and mix them with olive oil. It makes a very great pesto. Um, Yeah. What else? What else can you do in spring? But but (laughs) what a wonderful (laughs) question. Well, I mean, there couldn't be an easier answer. And it's totally summed up that, that all the animals want to mate, as do we. It was very coyly and beautifully put by Alfred Lord Tennyson, who remarked, so, bollocks. That's all right. We like the bollocks. Sorry. <laughs> can we, can we... No, did he say that? Did Lord Tennyson say bollocks, Mike? <laughs> did he, did, I, I, can, I can well believe it. And I, I, do you know what? I like the fact that you are finally revealing what he actually said rather than what he said in the expurgated version. No, what, so, what, he, what he actually said, because I wanted to get it absolutely right, um, was that <coughs> I don't want to get, he coyly wrote, um, in, the, in the spring a young man's fancy lightly turns to thoughts of love. Right, yes. And I thought that was rather a nice old quote. There's a much better one. Well, not much better. There's a more basic one, which was made by my uncle when I was a young boy of about 12, 13. He had a lovely house by the River Kennet. Um, and we were all there for, sun- for Sunday lunch and afterwards for tea. And it was in May, and those two weeks in May, and he was sitting in his armchair reading the Sunday Times. And he suddenly looked around him. And he stopped and he said... The amount of fucking that goes on here is quite disgusting. And he went back to his Sunday Times. <laughs> and who was he talking about? Was he talking about He was you? talking about the geese and the birds the and the, the ducks and every. And he was quite right. Everywhere you looked around, his beautiful garden, people, were, animals and people were mating. It was I did, fabulous. I did something that made me sad the other day, Mike. I was driving along one of the back roads and ahead of me in the road was a stupid male pheasant with his with with another of his 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 mates by which I mean another a fellow cock pheasant and they were strutting around and they were so busy strutting around showing that showing flaunting their 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 plumage and stuff that he didn't have time to get out of the way of my car and so I I killed him and then as I drove sadly further along I saw a couple of hens in in the in the ditch and they were obviously being impressed by the male before he died and I thought, you stupid sod. And at the same time, I felt really sorry for him because I thought, you know, you 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 were about to get your end away there. They are instead, incredibly, stunningly stupid. They are, aren't they? Really? More, more than any other bird, more, much more than partridges, anything else. Hen cock pheasants in particular are mind-bogglingly stupid, rather like the leading members of the Tory party at the moment. Do you, well, if you had a if you had a stupid off between between male cock pheasants and the Tory party. I think the Tory, the current Tory administration... Might is, well is win. More, they'd win. They would. Exactly. They're so stupid. And actually, uh, I mean, not that I, I'm a great believer in, in murdering members of the, of the government, uh, um, but nevertheless, I'm not sure that, that, that we wouldn't be better off if, if, if they were in the roads being mowed down by people like me. But they would walk straight under a car, just like a cock pheasant. They, they would. They would. Unreal. But I do want to talk about another terribly important omen of spring, and that is the cuckoo. Ah. Nothing, and suddenly at this time now, in April, because I'm doing this recording in April because I want everyone to get to realise the first, those middle two weeks of May. But about now, you should, and I emphasise the word should, hear the first cuckoo. 
tragically, they are an endangered species. They've got less and less and less. I haven't heard one this year yet. And last year, I, didn't, I only heard one the whole time. But, and this is an incredible fact about the cuckoo, I know that we all know that they lay their eggs in another bird's nest, mainly meadow pipits um, and, and various other birds. But the really incredible thing about the cuckoo is not that fact that it lays its eggs in another bird's nest and it emulates the eggs of the other bird. That is not what is the amazing thing. The really incredible thing of the cuckoo is that when it then migrates, the, the adult birds usually in August and the, and the young, when they fledge the nest in September, they fly to Central and even Southern Africa alone. Nobody guides them. Nobody has any idea. They do it completely solo. To me, that is a miracle. What, why do they go off on their own? Because it's too bloody cold in this country. Right. And they yes. want somewhere warm. And they migrate to Central or Southern Africa. And they're, God knows what guides them. Somehow they get there alone. Well, this will make you envious. Uh, a month ago, I heard a cuckoo. And I, well done. But, well but, yeah, done. Well, but it wasn't so well done because it was in Morocco. And it wasn't here. It was in Marrakesh. And so it hasn't migrated yet. No, no. And what we went for a, a, a walk in the, not the high atlas, I suppose you call it the low atlas or the foothills of the high atlas. And we heard, we heard a couple of cuckoos there. And our guide, I don't know whether he was right, told us that, that last year the, the conditions were so favourable for cuckoos in, in Morocco that they didn't even bother to leave. They didn't bother to come to come north. Well, to, I think that's to... wonderful to hear that. I'm well, very it, pleased. Yeah, to hear no, but it's but, it, but it's but it's not, is it? Because it means that they're not come, they're, they're not doing the right thing. But if that will preserve the cuckoo, and they are getting less and less and less, please God, could it continue? Have you? I mean, you haven't heard any this year, have you? No, I haven't. No, not no. one. But I want to give you a little tiny thing about the cuckoo as well, yeah. in a totally separate context. And this is an Irish folk song of, of a Colleen, which is a lovely word, a Colleen meaning a young girl, talking to her suitor. And she refers to the cuckoo in very slightly different terms. And she says, Me darling, says she, I can do no such thing. For me mother often told me it was committing sin, me maidenhead to lose and me sex to be abused. So have no more to do with me cuckoo's nest. Which reminds me, Mike. Isn't that a gem? As, as well as being a, 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 an ex-military man by, by unhappy accident. <laughs> you were a bit rubbish, weren't you? I um, was dreadful. Um, you were also, you wanted to be an actor, didn't you? More than anything else. My father wouldn't allow me to. I know. Well, that, that, but you, but you, can, you, can, you can do your country accents and your Irish accents really well. <laughs> and you have the kind of the morals of an actor. That, <laughs> I take that as a huge compliment. Um <laughs> Yeah, it's it, 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 it's 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 very sad, um, and okay. So and one last sorry, James, no, no, to interrupt tell me. you. I want to give you one, two, two, oh, two yes. little things again about the May and, and, and the spring. Mm. And the first is a weather forecast, which is if the ash is before the oak, and we're talking about the leaves appearing on the trees. If the ash is before the oak. Then we're in for a soak. But if the oak's before the ash, then we're in for a splash. This year, the oak is well, well ahead of the ash. So I suspect we're going to have a long, hot summer again. That's good. 
Absolutely. I, I, I think this has been confirmed by other sources, hasn't it? I think, I think we're in, the, in for the next two or three months. Which I would, think that's right. Which will cl- cover Glastonbury, which is, Very which, much is, so. which is good for me. And also, on the 1st of May, yeah. 1st of May, 1st of May, outdoor fucking starts today. Do you know what? I, I remember feeling that every year at, at Oxford, which people don't like me to remember, and they think I'm showing off. And it's not. I can't, I can't help it that I, I, went, I went there. You know, it's, it's part of my life. But I remember when, as May Day approach approached, the girls suddenly looked so much more it is available so and attractive, true. and one really did want to shag. And even now, even now, as an old man, having having done my work, but done my procreation, and 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 obviously not having not having sex hardly ever at all these days, uh, like all married men, um, I I still get that. That, uh, I feel the sap rising. The urge. And even you, Mike, I imagine. Even me at my ancient age starts twitching. Yeah. It's lovely, lovely feeling. This a joy. The sun's warm and suddenly, yes, it's a joy. And even if it, it, it does have to only be your wife. It, it does remind me this time of year that as Englishmen, we have won the lottery in life. Oh, and how... But, oh, and how? Just wait till the second two weeks of May, the middle two weeks of May. Leave your townhouse and please, please, I beg you, go out into the countryside. Yeah, but uh, I worry that, 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 that these people who are go- not, not the special friend who listens to this podcast, but other people, other people are increasingly buying into this Extinction Rebellion, Greta Thunberg, um, David Attenborough, utter bollocks, oh, Chris Packham, utter bollocks view of, of nature, which is that they don't understand how carefully managed it has to be. I mean, you mentioned culling seals. You mentioned culling, culling cormorants. Absolutely. It's not that we don't like cormorants. I mean, I love, the, I love their glossy, their They're glossy feathers, beautiful. that sort of purplish tinge Absolutely. they've got. And magpies are unbelievably beautiful, but desperately destructive. Yeah. Then what do you want? Songbirds or magpies? Because you cannot have a mass of both of them. I'm not saying that you need to wipe out the magpie. That's the last thing you should ever, ever do to any species. But they need, the songbirds need protecting. There's no question. Now, I think without being, without being rude about a, a mutual friend of ours, I nevertheless want to raise the topic of a man that we both love very much. Michael Gove. I'm actually very... I was extremely anti-Michael Gove until you kindly introduced me to him, rather unfortunately. Um, the story is wildly funny, and I now like him a great deal. Well, it, well no, it, it was, a, it was a, a weird uh, concatenation of events, wasn't it, which led to your, led to your encounter with the, with the Gove, which was you'd invited me for my annual treat where I go fishing with you on the itchin, and you'd said, if there's one bugger I can't stand, or something, I can't remember exactly. I, if I, there's one man I don't want to, to, to take over from dreadful Theresa May, yeah. it's Michael Gove, Michael. I think he's a treacherous little shit. That's, that, that's right, you remember the phrase, you thought he was a treacherous little shit. And I said, I said you may think that, Mike, you, you fat old, <laughs> fat old country matters man. But... But actually, Gove in the flesh is a delightful person, and I bet you, if ever you had the chance to meet him, he would charm the pants off you. Not literally, obviously, um, but he would, he would, he would charm you. And by weird, weird coincidence, I then went off with your fishing rods because I don't have a rod of my own, and they were they were 
were they Hardy rods? Yeah, they're, they're all which worth, worth about Hardy worth, and Sage. Worth about two hundred grand a rod. Or, they're not cheap. No, not, they not are cheap. the best in the world. And it so happened that that you were coming up to London, and. I was able to leave them at Gove's house and you were able to go to Gove's house and pick them up. And, the, and, and that was the beginning of your, of your delightful friendship. Well, the reason for it was more than anything else because the reason I suddenly liked him was very simple. I banged on this very beautiful and very nice front door in Hammersmith. I'm not giving you address, but the, the really lovely front door. And I banged on the door and Michael Gove himself answered the front door. And I rather pompously said, Mr Gove. And he said... Don't you mean treacherous little shit? And my opinion of him flew through the ceiling at that oh. point. And he kindly had me and gave me a bloody great glass of whiskey. And we liked each other from then on. Well, and I invited him fishing. So he has, has many, many qualities. But unfortunately, being a halfway decent environment secretary is not one of them. Because, look, he's read, he's read my book, Watermelons, which I think is, is, is pretty thorough in its demolition of the green scam. He's spoken to you about the plight of the salmon rivers. Well, I've particularly pushed the plight of the salmon rivers. It's something terribly dear to my heart. I love, love our Atlantic salmon. It's an amazing creature. And it is being decimated by magansas, goosanders and cormorants. Yeah, OK, let's not go into seagulls as well, but that's beside the point. But the birds in particular, and Michael said to me, and this was the comment of a man who doesn't sadly know what he's talking about because he hasn't studied it properly. And he said, you can't really get me to talk about that because I like birds. And that you know, he's never going to understand because he likes birds. So do I like birds. But they've got to be put in... It's got to be put in... in, in you know, you can't like birds like, like cormorants and love a species which is becoming endangered yeah. because of them. I think, I think in that, that sentence, that, that spent sentence speaks volumes about the mindset of the, the kind of the fluffy... I, I, I'd call them the left. I mean, it's, 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 it's an odd accusation to, to, to put against a, a conservative minister, but I think it is an essentially lefty, liberal, squishy view of the world that, that people who want to... Want to cull predator species pests are somehow in the case of, of, of birds that they don't like birds in the in the way that those who want to protect them do you know that somehow Chris Packham has a better handle on how to care for for bird life than than say a gamekeeper and I'm simply not sure that that's the case in fact I think it's a terrible slur on real country folk who love I, I love looking at I love the green wood wood Peckers. I love the yaffle, as the, that noise they make as they 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 dive. And you you, these are things you when you live in the country, you 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 see enough wildlife to start appreciating them not just for their for their shape, but for their the patterns of their behaviour, the noises they make. Very you know, much. When so. you live when you Very live in London, so. you can't become an expert on bird song. You wouldn't know what a yaffle sounds like. Mm. When you live in the, I'd never seen a green woodpecker until I moved it's here. A lovely thing. And and the, and the same way that the the, the the sort of mewing noise, the sort of cat-like noise that a buzzard makes, and that to me is one of the most lovely noises you can hear. And owls, little owls, and barn owls, you can call to one another owls, at night. All these things you notice living in the country, but you also understand that nature is red and tooth and claw, and and that in order for these birds to 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 exist in a kind of 
state of biodiversity with all manner of, of, of species, then you have to stop any one species getting out of control. Getting dominant. Same with with badgers. Now, another another friend I've had on this podcast, I've never had Gove on, because uh, I, I worry he'd be too politic. And, and I think you should get him on. Maybe I, maybe I should. I had Tom Holland on, and Tom Holland and I have a sort of friendly friendly rivalry on the issue of wildlife conversation. Tom is obsessed about hedgehogs, like the one I ran the, over accidentally the other day. Hedgehogs. I love hedgehogs. We all love Mrs. Tiggywinkle. I mean, they're, they're great. And when I was a child, you used to see loads of them often. But there aren't loads of them anymore. And we know why, don't we? What's, 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 what's the biggest predator of the hedgehog? I seriously don't know. Oh, the badger. Oh, no, that's quite true. Yes, I hadn't thought of that. The, Absolutely. As the badger population has, has exploded, so the, the hedgehog population has diminished. And all that, all that Tom Holland wants to, wants to bleat on about, I'm sorry, Tom, and, and, and Gove is, a, is of a similar mindset, is, oh, but we, are, we humans are encroaching on their habitat and we must learn the ways of the hedgehog and we must rescue more of them. Yeah, Tom, you can rescue every other fucking hedgehog on Earth, but you're still not going to save them from their main killer unless you acknowledge who the main killer is. It is Brock the Badger. And in the old days, in Victorian times, villages would, would join on, on badger hunts to go and dig up the, dig up the badger sets and, and kill the badgers. Not because, not because they hated badgers. And not, not because, because they... of, of, of whatever the, what's that disease that they're supposed to spread? Um, TB. TB, yeah. Yeah. But not because of that either. No, I and I think we've 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 lost so much understanding of our natural environment since we all moved to the towns, and and that that knowledge is not being is not being replaced by Chris Packham's Spring Watch and Autumn Watch, which is which are programs which are which are put together by hardcore green activists. They're not they're not ill 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 educated. Yeah. I would use that word intentionally. Unknowledgeable, um, working on a romantic principle of the countryside and not the practical and genuine countryside. I just hope that, well, I think it's unlikely. I can't imagine that, that anyone listens to my podcast who is a, a green ideologue. But I hope, it, it would be nice to think that if, if, if just one greenie were to listen to you and understand that even though you're a, a fat old dinosaur, to put it in the, in the nicest nicest way. I do love you dearly, that, James. That, Thank that, you. That actually you have a an understanding of the natural world, which is... At well, least I share luck and... because I was brought up to it mm. from the age of nothing and have a passionate love for it. But how are we going to... How are we going to persuade all these... All these Townies who've bought into this this green this green fantasy that somehow if only you leave all the birdies alone and if only you leave all the seals alone that nature's going to find this wonderful balance. How do but, we? But by doing otherwise? exactly what we're doing now, and that's to try and get as much of it into the open as possible. Yeah, that's all we can do. But I, I worry that it's not going to be enough. I I I worry actually that that what's been happening. I've been looking at the the events of the last few weeks. I'm looking at the way. For, uh, let, let, let's let's examine what's been going on. You've got you've had the a series of weeks now of extinction rebellion protests in London by this really quite hard left green activist group, 
all the kind of the, the, the swampiest of, of protesters. And the police have been doing really remarkably little to stop these people blocking the public highway. I mean, they, they closed down, down was it, I don't know, Westminster Bridge, it was um, Waterloo Bridge. Waterloo Bridge. They closed down Waterloo Bridge for a week. Now, I, I think that's, that's not the kind of behaviour that is acceptable in the world's most, most pulsing metropolis. I mean, London is the capital of the world, one might argue. But, and this is a big but, and you're probably going to hate me for saying this. Oh, for God's sake, what? <laughs> um, I'm a great Attenborough fan. I think he's an extraordinary man. And he is absolutely right that, that we have got to take... Climate change is terrifying. Oh, bollocks, mate. Yes, it is. No, you're doing absolute fucking bollocks. I'm not. I, I, I do you know, you have almost, you have almost undermined the whole bloody podcast. Look... We're going we're gonna to have to have a chat about this. I, I, there's, not, there's not space, I, I think, now to do, do it. I'm not going to convert you. But you, A, you ha- obviously haven't read my book, Watermelons. And B, no, climate change is not. Climate change is a natural process. And Attenborough is talking out of his... Well, anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm now so traumatised. I, I, I am actually so traumatised, I cannot continue with this podcast. I, I, I need some lunch. Um, I've never managed to do this to him before, no, no, ever. No, no, you've, you have reduced me to, to, <laughs> to, uh, to, to silence. I'm, I'm, I'm shocked. Um, and, it doesn't uh, mean to say I'm not very fond of the silly old bugger. No, 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 no. no. And, I, and I'm still fucking coming on that, for that fishing trip. You're banned. You? I'm don't, not having you no. fishing. Okay, you're listening to The Delling Pod. With me, James Dellingpole, and my, my former friend, the fat old, <laughs> fat, fat old countryman, Mike Dawn, who is available for weddings, for mitzvahs, and, and fishing coaching, um, if you can afford him, which you probably can't. I don't think many people can. No, no, no. Right. Um, well, more next week. Bye-bye.